Welcome to wherever you are. My name is Ryan McNeil in Toronto, Canada. You are listening to episode 204 of the Matinee Cast. It's the movie-loving podcast on the movie-loving website, thematinee.ca. Your home for cinematic passion and perspective. I have realized as I bring in guests for the third century worth of shows that I am getting really bad at bringing people back for repeat appearances. Uh, There are some people who go uh, hundreds of episodes in between shows. There are some people who have gone more than 200 episodes in between shows and I really got to go about fixing that because the fact of the matter is I like a lot of these people and they are my friends and my neighbors and I have no excuse even with my own self-imposed male female back and forth of you know a boy then a girl then a boy then a girl i should still be able to get everybody in sooner than six years in between yeah but it's tough though like life is hard (laughs) (laughs) especially when you got like kids and stuff it's it's tough to even get out of the house (laughs) i'll thank you for the out and that voice you heard is one of the people who i have spent far too long uh getting back on this show um last time it was winter we were i I always seem to get you in when it's cold that's the other thing too this is the first time you're here and it's warm it's raining but at least it's warm um and the voice you heard is the uh the grand poobah the head cheese the uh top dog at the site we were discussing off the top of the show cinema axis a site you can find at cinemaaxis.com courtney small is here how are you mr small i'm doing well it's nice rainy summer day i was gonna say nice smooth drive over i got you away from the from the wife and kids for a sunday yeah well, you know what this is one of those days where they're happy to stay indoors okay and, and you're hit, happy to get out of doors well it wasn't until i hit the 401 <laughs> and for the international <laughs> listeners um you know the the toronto highways are uh, brutal on the best of days one major note before the show uh this episode episode 204 is going up live on monday july 30th which means that just Three short days ago, uh, some dear friends of this show, Bob and Ariel over at A Frame Apart, uh, celebrated their 100th episode on Friday the 27th, uh, that that episode would have gone up. Um, They were nice enough to have me as the guest on that show uh, for an episode that they entitled Ariel explains to Ryan why he's wrong. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. And I have been podcasting now for nine years. I've been on hundreds and hundreds of shows both my own and other people's and it may very well be um the most amazing podcasting experience i've ever had that's great um it's an intense conversation uh i'll I'll tell people here we were sitting basically we're sitting knee to knee sharing a microphone but arguing for the better part of two hours Mm -hmm. and if you imagine any time you've ever had even a friendly argument with somebody you like and we do we, we walked away from it everything was okay we're great but if you think about any time you had a friendly argument with anybody you like, it's a little heated and it's a yeah. little intense and passionate and whatnot. Now imagine that you're, you know, less than one yard away from them and you can't leave. So okay. it is. it was incredible to be part of. Um, they have an incredible show. Uh, it was incredibly rewarding, and there are, there will be a link in the show notes. So please go see it. And congratulations, Bob and Ariel, on a hundred shows. I know yeah, a lot great. of people. I know a lot of people can't do ten. So you get to a hundred. You've you you know you're you're wearing a, you're wearing a special star on the jersey, as they say. That's my show note off the top of the show. But everything else at this point is business as usual, which means we will be discussing a new film. And boy, have we got a cherry for you today. Sorry to bother you is the new slang for episode 204. Uh, we will, of course, take a moment and turn the record over to play the other side. First, though, we need to learn more about Courtney. This is Know Your Enemy.
Courtney first appeared on episode 75, which was a year-end episode for the year 2012. There, we learned that the first film he'd ever seen in a theater was Transformers. The last film he'd seen at the time was Django Unchained. The worst film he'd seen was Firewall. The unseen classic or essentials, plural, were Passion of Joan of Arc and Birth of a Nation. Now, I, sh I know you've since seen Birth of a Nation. Have you seen Passion of Joan of Arc? I still have not. Wow! <laughs> and it's funny because as you said that, I was like, oh, oh right. Yeah. I'm running it right down right now. I'm like, yeah, I, I really do need to get to that one. Oh, yes. And the film he'd wish he'd made was Hannah and Her Sisters. Uh, then on episode 128, Courtney came back to talk about uh, Inherent Vice, and we learned the film he digs that nobody else does is Too Fast, Too Furious. Um, the film that everybody else digs that he doesn't is Paths of Glory. The last film to make him cry was Dear Zachary. In the movie of his life, he'd be played by Stephen James from um, Selma and Book of Negroes, and the next film he was going to be watching was some combination of either Imitation Game and or Birdman, because you were doing Oscar homework. But oh, it's time right. for round three. Interpret this question any way you like. What is the film that made your love of film turn a corner? Now, this one was a tough one, um, just because there's so many films that kind of impact you. But mm -hmm. for me, I came up with Farewell, My Concubine, the 1993 oh. Cage 10 film. Um, it's about this 50-year friendship between two young or I guess eventually becoming men but uh, they start off as young boys and they meet as apprentices training to be part of the Peking opera mm -hmm. and their lives go through some tragic moments some wonderful moments the film is three hours yeah and it was a film that I remember seeing I guess when I was about 14 or 15 okay and I remember watching it when we had back when we had the movie network, and it was I think the first foreign film that I watched multiple times. Okay, and for a three-hour film, like I was just captivated by they're, they're fourteen or fifteen. Like, wouldn't that have been one of the first foreign films you saw at all, or were, did you see a lot of them when you were younger? I watched a fair bit when I was. Oh, look at around you! Oh, you're okay. well, I, a smart guy. All right. Well, no, I wasn't really a smart guy. It was more <laughs> the, the fact that um, my parents divorced when I was really young, mm -hmm. so I grew up with my mom and. She was a little overprotective when mm. I was younger, so I'd often just be at home watching movies. Like right. If I wasn't out playing with okay. friends nearby, I would watch movies. So I just and when we got the movie network back then, it was b before like we had multiple choices and streaming. Like w literally, the option was you get the Family Channel or the movie network. Right. Uh, Rogers was offering a a deal. Yeah. And to show you how old this is, and I'm going to date myself, but we got the cable box and we had to leave it on the movie network for like two or three hours for the system to sync up with okay. whatever thing. So, you know, this was, you know, early <laughs> this 90s Old people. school, this yeah, is, yeah. you know, right. before the internet, right. all this wonderful stuff. And I just used to watch a lot of stuff, whether it be, like, low-budget action films with um, the guy who eventually went on to make the Tybo workout okay. tapes, okay. Uh, Billy Blanks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And then there was just stuff on the movie network. So okay. I would... When I was younger, I would collect a lot of newspaper clippings from the Toronto Star, and I had binders full. Okay. And then whenever something came on the movie network, yeah, I would like read the Toronto Star review, and then I would watch it and see okay. if I whether or not I agree. And this for some reason I and, and you were okay, and like yeah, it's like all right, I'm reading the movie, that's fine. Yeah, it yeah, was okay. yeah. Like back then, because it was usually like I would read it, and then I'd probably see it like a year later. Okay, or okay, six um, months later. So, for, but how did that film make your love of film turn a corner? It opened my eyes to i guess more world cinema because i'd mm. already started diving into foreign films but just the 
the impact of it. And also, I used to be like, you know, three hour films, no way I'm sitting that. And right. it was like, oh, wait, you know, a longer length is actually crucial for storytelling in a lot of instances. And again, that film covered so much in that one three hour block because you have tragedy, you have joy, you have romance, you have friendship, you know, there's implications of rape. Like it's, it runs the gamut of emotions. Yeah. And up to that point, films hadn't really done that for me because I was used to seeing blockbusters. Right. The big budget stuff, right? right? So Even it, with the movie network. Yeah, even with the movie <laughs> network. You, know, you still tend to go for whatever you you either have seen before or you heard of because it had a big name star. Whereas this time it, it opened my eyes to like just diving into films that I don't really know too much about. Um, Farewell, My Concubine. I, I actually did not see that movie until about five years ago maybe okay. six years ago um i caught it at a screening it was a movie i knew by reputation it was mm-hmm. you know it was the kind of thing like i heard people mention it and i knew it was uh you know it was like an award-winning type film and that it was sort of like a grand epic type movie i um i was knocked out when i when i first yeah. when i first saw it because it's it's got a lot of scope that movie does along with like mm-hmm. everything you're talking about of all these different beats that it hits within three hours it covers just like a huge chunk of china's modern history yes um yeah. which i mean has been chaotic mm-hmm. to, to say the least that was the kind of movie where i was i was glad i saw it in a theater because i, I was like forced to be present and it was a really full yeah. theater too it was like tiff was having an event oh, so okay. like it was the beginning of their they did a chinese retrospective so that and that was like kind of the kickoff yeah. and they had like some delegates and they I think they had the director here too, but cinema one was packed. So I was in it because it was a big house and a bit and whatnot. And it was full. So there was nowhere to go. So it's like, you are stuck. Just sit back, let this wash over you and, you know, let it in. Otherwise, you know, you're not going to, you're, you're in for a long night. And it's weird because I'm I'm saying that and I realize I'm saying that it kind of sounds like I had a gun put to my head. No, no. But it was quite the opposite. It was just, it was, you know, like you're in this moment and just this moment's going to take a while. So just chill out. It's a reflection though on our society nowadays because we're so much into instant gratification. Yeah. Give us the plot twist points early on in a film. Yeah. Start the film at the end. Yeah. To sit down and really take in three hours. And as you said, it's an epic three hours just in scope visually to take it all in and absorb it you know it's, yeah. it's something so back then especially as a, as a teenager it was oh man i can only imagine courtney small what was your first date movie so this was a tough one because i've had a lot of really bad first date movies <laughs> uh, but the one that i found that is you know to to quote costanza gold jerry is charlie's angels okay because you would have been like 22 yeah it was like the university okay um and you know it was successful first date movie then and subsequent um girlfriends or possible potential dates that you know when i've played that whether it be on dvd or whatnot it's always going over well okay um it's it's It's, late it's a reverend it's fun exactly you know it's not a great movie but but it's harmless yeah it's harmless it's just if you want like an easygoing kind of film and stuff the it's kind of sexy yeah it's just a in a silly way you know it's not the the typical romantic no. film you know you say that one for later right. but for a first date charlie's <laughs> angels trophy it's the way to go <laughs> okay but wait a minute um you you say ordinarily it went well i feel like there was a story there well i've had a few like i remember in high school um <laughs> i went on a we went to see uh the great white hype okay the, the <laughs> yeah. boxing movies yeah not a good first date also movie. also lucy lou in that movie 
Is she that one? Yeah. I forgot. Maybe. Oh, maybe. no, 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 no. I'm thinking of a different one. I, I know the one you're thinking of now. Okay. Because it's so the one with Peter Berg yeah, and uh, yeah, Samuel no, Jackson right. playing like a Don King. Okay. Type no, sorry, I'm remembering. Promoter. I'm thinking of Play to the Bone. That's the one that's going to Ah, okay. Sleep. So, yeah. The, okay. And, and, and that didn't, didn't go well. And, like, there's been a couple of other ones, but I remember the Great White Hype was just an awful, <laughs> awful experience. It's like, okay. That's, you know, it, like, it's, it's, it's obviously, it's been a while for me, but I can't imagine, like, which way you want it to go if you want it to be something that like really you want to talk about after and really kind of like connects you both emotionally or if you want it to be a car wreck that you're both unbelievable that you can't see or if it's just something you want to just distract so you can get on to other things i you know i i don't know yeah. i'd almost like to like ask a bunch of single people or more recently single people saying first date movies do you have criteria and like build this up well some people say that the movie's like the worst thing you do on a first date yeah because there's no there's very little interaction right uh, for me i always tend to go with comedies and I, I agree i understand everyone's taste is different but usually i find comedies work better than films that are just straight romance right because sometimes romance could be heavy-handed sometimes the you know your date what you find romantic your date thinks is trivial and yeah. vice versa yeah uh i've heard horror films are great I just, most of the women that I have dated in my life hate horror, so <laughs> it's never been one that I've couldn't, uh, been able to use. See, the thing about the comedy, though, is like I remember the movie that I met Lindsay at, um, I, I can clearly remember moments where I was laughing in that movie and she wasn't, yeah. and I, I remember feeling kind of kind of self-conscious that I'm laughing at something and the person next to me is not laughing. I'm yeah. like, what, what's going on here? Obviously, we, we, we made our you, piece You worked through that, that one. What film was that? <laughs> Do you remember what the film was? Yeah, it was a film. At the time, it was called Try 17. It's now called All I Want. It's a really crummy little movie with Elijah Wood. Okay. Um, but it, it's, I mean, it's not, it's not really funny. It's got some funny moments yeah. in it and I'm an easy mark to laugh, but um, yeah, it, it, it was, it, you know, it's kind of funny because it's the film that you meet at, at the film festival ends up just like not even getting a release. It just kind of withers its way into Netflix and yeah. DVD. Um, it's like, what does that say? Uh, what is your sick day movie? You know what? This one actually changed. I have a new one. Cause okay. I discovered a... Well, I didn't discover. I knew of it for several years, but I only watched it probably a few months ago when I was well, sick. I know it's not Passion of Joan of Arc. No, no. No, no. <laughs> it was uh, The Nice Guys. Oh, my God. We, I love that movie so much. We found uh, a copy on, on sale for the, the library for like two bucks. Okay. It's like, oh, I haven't seen it. I'm like, it's two bucks. Yeah, yeah. You know, I like this director. And I love that film. And it was a perfect sick day. I was at home, and I actually felt better after watching right. it. I don't know what secret elixir it had, but it's just a really oh, fun cocktail. Yeah, we did. Yeah, we did an episode on that. Uh, whenever that was, two years ago, I think that movie dropped, um, and it's it's made the rounds. I, I'm I'm one of the schmucks who still pays for cable too, mm -hmm. um, so it it makes the rounds on a lot of the on demand channels now, and I think oh, okay. it's on Netflix now. And I often have the TV on to go to bed. Um, and I, I make sure I usually kind of put on a movie I've seen before. And that's one I've been putting on a lot lately mm -hmm. just because like, I mean, it's the beginning is just so absurd, you yeah. know, for, for starters and the, the buddy cop dynamic of Gosling and Russell Crowe in that movie. I, I can see how that would be a sick day thing. Cause it's, it's, it's comforting, you know, on a lot yeah. of, a lot of levels. It was one of the few films where at the end of it, it's like, I'll be happy if they'd make another one. Like I would, if they do or do not, if they do, yeah, if uh, yeah, they don't, I'm, I'm perfectly fine as well. Yeah. But I would see them on another case. More nice guys, nicer guys. Yeah, 
Um, I, you know, I, I said in the podcast, I can actually see this kind of weird funhouse mirrors way where Russell Crowe's character is his uh, LA Confidential character twenty years later. Yes, you know, yeah, I was getting that vibe as well. <laughs> uh, what was the last film to leave you speechless? This one again. This was another tough one. Um, I actually have to go back to TIFF last year. Okay. And there was a film that I saw called What Will People Say? And it was directed by a female director named Iram Haq, H-A-Q. And it's about a Pakistani-American teenager who gets caught fooling around with her boyfriend. Uh, it's, it's innocent, but anyway, her parents freak out and they essentially kidnap her and take her back to Pakistan. Right. Uh, so a place where she's never been. And yeah. they force her to live with residents to, I guess, kind of cure her of this Americanism that has infiltrated her. And it's a really gut-wrenching film from all the way from that point to the, to the end of it. And I, that was the last time I could physically remember mm. just being stunned, where at the end I just had to kind of sit for a few minutes until they kicked us out of the theater. And right. I just did not know. Like, I loved it, but... It was just a gut punch, and I, there's been a lot of good movies I've seen this year. But in terms of like what truly left me unable to speak, that that was the film. Was it anything in particular? Like I feel like this is a movie that's going to be harder for people to watch, like to track down, basically. So I don't I'm, know if it's been officially released yet. Okay. I think it was still doing the festival circuit okay. as of this year. Or maybe TIFF might have been its like um, festival premiere. Yeah, yeah. Around, so I'm hoping it gets released. I have a feeling that due to the subject matter it may end up being a Netflix streaming service, but okay. the, the performance by the lead actress is phenomenal. The entire cast is, is great. Okay. And, you know, it's one of those things where the punishment doesn't fit the crime. Okay. And like, I understand you're watching, you're watching parents overreact. Exactly. Okay. And I understand that every culture has their criteria, their rules, but even within that culture and how, how we see things and how things are played out, it, the, the punishment, like the, everything that she goes through, and especially the stuff that she endures when she's in Pakistan, does not fit the you got offense. Yeah, yeah, like it wasn't like they were having full on sex. They were literally just making out right on in her bed after hours, which again is still wrong. You know, yeah. if, with the parents have certain rules, but it was just uh, one of those emotional gut punches. And I think it played in the platform yeah. program. So. I think it was Sweet Country, which is another phenomenal film, ended up taking the prize. Mm -hmm. And I think that kind of overshadowed okay. this one. But if you can see Sweet Country, see that one see as that well. See that one too? Okay. With Sam Neill and I think Brian Benson. Mm. All of this is reminding me of a movie that I actually saw at TIFF last year as well. Um, another one that was directed by a woman. This one from this one was a co-production between Canada and Iran called Ava. Did you see that one? I did see Ava. Yes. Similar idea. The, yeah. the, 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 the daughter, you know, kind of breaks a rule. The parents overreact. It really sends – in Ava, it just sends her for a spin. Like, mm -hmm. she, you know, she, it's just mercifully – and it's weird to say something like mercifully with yeah. Ava. Um, they don't – get quite that harsh with her but they still do some things that are just like really over the line and really would make you wonder mm -hmm. about you know other parents and other people in your life um I, like it's it's weird that you have a few of these all in one festival um but i do like I, I do like that about a festival environment is that it can give you a few of those moments where it's really you know intense yeah you know like that's it sounds weird that you want to go to a theater to be rocked Sometimes you do. Like, you, you get your mix of, 
you know, comedy action. And yeah. then there's sometimes, especially with a film like Ava or uh, What Will People Say, films that you go in thinking, all right, this premise sounds interesting, but you don't expect no. the kind of hit and how both young women and those have to deal with what their the situation, but also almost like the the hate and resentment yeah. that builds up in them to their family. It's almost like, you know, what did I do to deserve this? Like, I'm I'm being punished for rules that were established by people who no, no longer identify with the current world that we live yeah. in. Yeah, yeah, and there's yeah we've ne- we've never re- we've never readdressed the rule book. Mm-hmm. Oh man, yeah, okay. I like I want to see it, but I'm gonna have to brace myself. Yeah, it's 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 not an easy watch, no. but I don't know. For me personally, it just yeah. caught me off guard. Yeah. Um, finally, what is the film quote you would like to be your epitaph? Now, this one I have to go back to one of my favorite films, uh, Magnolia. I think it's Philip Baker Hall that says it. And he says, uh, and the good book says, we might be through with the past, but the past is not through with us. I think a few people say that. Yeah, and it's just that one always, like, it's one that I quote constantly, huh. you know, and I, even when I, I look at the way the world is going and stuff, and I'm like, repeating things you know magnolia comes back to mind plus yeah. i think magnolia is a great film so i i absolutely think magnolia is a great film um there's a lot of lines in that movie there's a lot that, of quotable stuff that, that, that you can that you could certainly quote but i i do like i do like that one i mean yeah as an epitaph that might be one of those ones of just so i can get one last thing out here. yeah <laughs> you yeah. know that's that's a good one I like just, that. just so you remember i might be back yeah all right, that's more about Courtney. We are going to move on to the new slang. The new slang for episode 204, speaking of speechless, uh, is sorry to bother you uh, coming up right after this. Sorry to Bother You is written and directed by Boots Riley. It stars Lakeith Stanfield, Tessa Thompson, Jermaine Fowler, Omari Hardwick, Terry Crews, Patton Oswald, David Cross, Danny Glover, Stephen Yeun. Did I pronounce that right? Is it Yeun? Yeun? I always thought it was Yeun, but I'm not. I'm Glenn not from sure. Walking Dead. I'm horrible with names, so <laughs> don't ask me. And Army Hammer. Sorry to Bother You is about Cassius Green and his push to make ends meet. He's living in his uncle's garage, driving a car, being held together by force of will, and deeply underemployed. His latest attempt brings him to Regalview, a telemarketing firm with ties to Worry Free, a corporation that everyone and their sister seems to be protesting for morally wrong business practices. Cash doesn't have much going for him, but he does have friends. His conceptual artist girlfriend Detroit and his best buddy Salvador have his back no matter what, and even some of his co-workers take a shining to him by the way of Squeeze and Langston. All of this comes to a head when Cash gets promoted while everyone else stages a walkout in protest of Regal View slash Worry Free. As Cash's star is on the rise, the unrest around the company grows with secrecy, absurdity, and protest. Without getting too far ahead of ourselves, Sorry to Bother You is what I like to call a kitchen sink movie in the way that it throws everything it can at you by the time it's done. In a way, it's assaultive seeing just where and how it can hit you and how much you will take while still coming back for more. In another way, it's lunacy. It's an experience that makes you wonder why anyone in their right mind would make it, let alone recommend it. But more than anything else, a kitchen sink movie is singular. For better or for worse, they stand apart amongst the weepy dramas, 
romantic comedies, and blow-em-up blockbusters that dot the cinematic landscape and dare you to forget them. So, pop quiz, hotshot. Is a movie like Sorry to Bother You, a kitchen sink movie, something that should take another swing and dial it all down? Or perhaps should they lean into the crazy and just let their freak flag fly? I think you got to lean into the crazy. You got to lean I, into the I, crazy. And I think the reason, <laughs> I think the reason why this film, especially in its latter half, leans into the crazy is because we become too, um, I guess, complicit in films that don't go far enough. Okay. So, one of the big themes in this film, and I've been thinking about it a lot since I've watched it, is the the dangers of capitalism. Yeah. And how we become so, I don't know, we become so used to it, complacent. We become so used to it that it doesn't shock us, no matter what length capitalism goes to. And I, I think back to a film like Wall Street back in the 80s, which mm. was supposed to be a cautionary tale. Yeah. You know, it was supposed to be a warning of this is what is going on in the world and it will only get worse. And I feel that more people wanted to be Gordon Gecko than learn the the harsh lessons of what that type of person does. And we've seen so many films that talk about capitalism and a lot of it goes to the people wanting to get rich quick and doing whatever thing, whatever they can. But I don't know, the, the lengths that they go to, we almost forgive. Okay. You know, as long as they've made it, well, they had to do it for whatever reason. And this film is like, okay, Things have been going on. We are all benefiting from capitalism, even the evils of it. And at some point, we have to realize that it's only going to get worse. And if he just says, well, capitalism is bad, these people are having a strike, that's one thing. And we might go, ha-ha, whatever, and leave. But right. this film, because it goes kitchen sink crazy, you don't forget it. No. And because you don't forget the craziness in the film, you, you don't forget what caused it and what links it. So your mind, it really does force you to think. I, I I think I'm actually I'm, I'm re- very much in agreement with you on why a kitchen sink movie why I like I I don't even like them but I respect them we're going to talk about a few more later why I respect them why I appreciate that they're made is that they will stick with me even films I don't like you know films that I find ugly or films that I find nasty they will stick with me in the years afterwards and I I really think that's how you leave a mark and that's how you leave an impression. Film does a lot of things depending on what you want it to do, right? Like if, if you just want it to be the entertainment on a first date, it can be that. If you just want it to be the warm blanket on a day when you're sick, it can be that. But it doesn't just have to only be that. And getting this kind of talent and this kind of execution together and saying something really crazy <laughs> to make an underlying point you may not necessarily come away with something that people are going to want to watch on a first date or watch on their sick day, but I think you do come away with something people remember, even if they don't like it. Yes. And that, to me, is the challenge of a lot of movies today, is they're so, especially the really big properties, regardless of genre, right? The really big properties are really trying so much to be liked that they're not worried about pushing themselves. They just want to stay a little safe. So a film like this comes along and you almost can't compute. A talk I heard one time about music and the scale of music. And on one end you have like children's songs and nursery rhymes. And on the other end you have like 
acid jazz and that kind of thing and everything and anything in between what your brain can and cannot process mm -hmm. and this almost feels too weird and too complicated to process but it you know it just hangs on by a thread so in that respect i'm going to let the freak flag fly i liked this movie <laughs> and it was i'll tell you my experience courtney has a slight look of shame on his no I, it's not <laughs> like, a look of shame at all it's it is <laughs> i'm reflecting more on my reaction and the reaction of my audience. Oh, okay. Because when I went to see the film, yeah. um, it wasn't playing in my area. Yeah. Oddly enough, all the multiplexes did not have it. So I had go to go figure. to uh, the Queensway to see it. And it was actually a predominantly older white crowd. <laughs> so the people that were reacting the most, like laughing at jokes and, and stuff, was myself, a few, the few minority people there, and a few of the younger people. Right. But majority of the people left my screening with looks of confusion, yeah, some with disgust, you know, and they just, they clearly did not expect the movie that they were getting. Right. And maybe they didn't go in knowing too much. I went in knowing very little. I right. just knew that this guy wants a job and to get a job, he has to put on a white voice played by David Cross. Yeah. You know, that's all I knew. When things started to go super crazy and they're really hitting the, the social commentary home, I was loving because like this was something refreshing. Okay. And, but as you said, it, it throws everything at you, but it still manages to hold on and keep its through line, which is very tough to do, especially with the direction that this film goes. Okay. This film goes so many different places. Yeah, yeah. But yet it still felt contained. I okay. still got a lot of the messaging across. It's there's some times where it's funny, there's some parts where it's scary. It's you know, the overall idea of it is super disturbing. Yeah. You know, when yeah. you think about it. Yeah. And it it, it works, but I, I don't, I think when a lot of people come out of this, because they're not quite sure what to expect going in, mm -hmm. it's going to hit them like a ton of bricks. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I was with it for a long time. Mm -hmm. I, I, was, I was with this movie and it was, I actually knew next to nothing. I don't want to say I knew nothing, but I knew very, very, very yeah. little. I didn't even know that, you know, black guy puts on white voice. I did not know that one at all. Um, I just knew, I'd heard a lot of people I respect and people whose opinion I take were talking about it and, and that it had played well at Sundance. So I, I really, it was one of these ones where I was just, you know, opening up the can and letting it go. But by the time it got to that, like, the final ends of the final act, the clowns were out of the clown car for sure. And I was really struggling to stay with it. And just, I think I shook my head so far, so hard that I like threw out my neck. It was yeah. now, <laughs> it was an incredible watch. And there is, as I said, a lot of things in this movie that are going to stick with me. I just don't know what to do with this. Yes. And that's not a bad thing, but at the same time, it's not a great thing. Well, I'll say one of the, the lines that I love from this film is when um, Steve Yoon's character is, t he says to um, Cassius that if you show people something, but don't present a solution, they just adapt to whatever the problem is that you're showing them. Yeah. Right. They don't make a change. And I feel there are times where, as wonderful as the film is, it's a little messy. Mm -hmm. And by the time you get to the end, you get the message that it's trying to evoke, the change that it wants to evoke, but it doesn't quite give you the proper ways to go about it. Mm. Because if you think about where the characters end up towards the end of the film, um, or just before the final moments, there's still talk of them going back to Regal View mm -hmm. with better 
agreements, right? So in many ways, there's going to still be few helping to fuel the machine. The machine, yeah, yeah, right. So they might finally get the wages and the benefits that they want, but they're still, in some ways, being complicit by helping to fuel the machine. And then at the same time, you know, a lot of them need their jobs. They've got families to support. So it's that weird thing. And I, you know, I feel that the the message in terms of how we should take it in terms of rising up and acting and, and kind of changing our ways that it's not as clear. No, but I mean, that was actually what I really clung to about this movie is it has this underlying theme of, yeah, the world is brutal, but what can we do? Mm. You know, it has that all over it. It has that message, everything from how workers are being exploited to, you know, just like the conveniences we get out of that exploitation to what we watch is for entertainment and how that degrades other people. And, you know, like at this point, right up to the people in power of all of us. And it's like, we're all just shrugging saying, but, but, but I'm just one guy, yeah. you know, and we're like, it, it's almost, it almost wants to remind us that we are the solution. Yes. You know, it, like, like it's not saying there is no solution. It's like, no, no, no. There is a solution and you're it. Mm -hmm. You have to you have to make that that change. Yeah. And it it's not just as simple of like putting out a tweet or retweeting something. It's it's making changes in every aspect of your life. Yeah. And that's what's really tough for people to to digest yeah. because you know, I, I love my iPhone. Yeah. I don't want to know that my iPhone's being made overseas yeah. and in horrible conditions. I, and, I, I don't want to pay $3,000 exactly, for it, thank right? you. But at some point you have to acknowledge that and say do I really need all the features for the iPhone at the cost of what, you know, yeah, impacting people? Yeah. And we're, as we're, you know, we're seeing it now in our society. And I think this is the timing of this film is, is wonderful because you see everything that's going on globally, especially with the man who's now the, the leader of the free world, quote unquote, is a man who gets praised for being a businessman. Mm -hmm. You know, again, he has found a way to be the ultimate capitalist and has taken him to the highest position in the land yeah that doesn't necessarily mean that how he got there was just or even that he is qualified enough to to handle all the responsibility with that position but we just kind of shower that on him and as we see in the film there's that running gag with the tv show yeah where people go on to just be humiliated and abused because that's what we watch now every reality show we we love our real housewives one through 82 yeah and you're just watching people be wealthy and horrible to each other yeah you know? for, for the for entertainment yeah um you okay it, it's it's crazy actually because in one one little answer there you've actually touched on a lot of what i wanted to talk about okay. um but one of the things okay so one of the things i wanted to talk about was this idea of image so you know like when you were saying that we put people in power because they seem like they know what they're doing Right. Or they see, you know, hey, they've been a successful business person. So clearly they can run things. Let's let them mm -hmm. run this. But that also applies on a smaller level, too, because Cassius gets to partially gets to where he gets to because um, a lot of people around him just kind of like the cut of him. You know, he doesn't actually bring anything better to the table. He doesn't do he's he's closing a bunch of deals, but not because he's trying something new and incorporating it into the rest of Regal View. He's just having a lucky streak and, you know, t trying this trick that Danny Glover teaches him in putting on the white voice. So his escalation is as much a we like we like what you bring to the table. We like your energy. 
We want to bring that energy up. He doesn't. He has no new ideas to offer. But he's only, like he's just he's happy to be there. He's happy to take the money and he's happy for the opportunity. But it's not like he's going to go in there and change things or use his approach to do something different. And that gets turned on its head when he goes to this huge party and the Army Hammer character, who I need to remind myself what his name was, Army Hammer plays this crazy um, executive, this crazy business person named Steve Lift. Yeah, there we go. Steve Lift, he's got him like, he's, he's talking to Cassius. There's like a court of about four or five dozen people around them. You know, it's it's like, it's a two-person conversation, but there's at least 50 or 60 people there. And Lyft says to him, he wants you to get up and rap something. And yep. he's like, I can't rap. He goes, come on, no, come on, get up and rap something. And at first he tries. And like, of course, like he says, he can't rap anything. And then he just starts spouting off some stuff that he thinks everybody wants to hear. And of course it goes over like crazy. Mm-hmm. Are, is this what the movie is saying? That if you just bullshit long enough, that you can get by, that we that we hang these expectations on people? I, I think, I'll disagree with you, and I think he has a lot to offer. When he takes the, the I think his, his main stumbling point is that he doesn't have the white voice, because he doesn't really change much about his approach outside of the voice, right? And I, I think this, what this film is actually saying is, there's people who have plenty to offer, but the way how our system is they we naturally assume that someone based on their gender or their race is one thing right and you're never allowed to evolve past okay so that the assumption thing. then is what comes back into play in the party yes get up there because you you exactly. clearly you must know how to rap because even when everything's going crazy with the um the protest and the the workers he's he's one of the few people that is consistently closing because the white voice and i think this is one of the the key lines it's it's a funny joke but when danny glover says uh you know you need to use the white voice yeah but not like the nasally white voice that you would see on like on comic view or what yeah. have you the t- typical black comedian yeah in person he's like no no you need to have the white voice the one that has the air of confidence doesn't he call it the will smith white voice he says not even the will not smith. even the will smith not even the will okay. smith because right? <laughs> even, even will smith you still think of will smith right, right. he's okay. still He's got. A, he's up there, but he's yeah. still Will Smith, the black actor, okay. right? Okay. The black superstar. Whereas yeah. you need that voice that, you know, you when you get fired, you don't get fired. You got laid off, right? right. It's almost that kind of carefree. Okay. Okay. I can do what I want. I can say, and he's pretty much interacting with a lot of these um, clients the exact same way. But now he's got that voice, right? So he's a lot to them, a lot friendlier. Right. So they're divulging stuff about their lives, and he's just having a blast because he's allowed to. Yeah. Right? But when he meets um, Army Heron's character... Lift. Lift. He... No matter how much you do the voice, the visual is still there. Yeah. You're still a black person in front of us. Yeah. Right? And it's like, oh, yeah, yes, great. You've made us a lot of money. But, you know, tell us some stories about getting shot at or kind of with cops. It's like, well, actually, no. I've led a decent life. I haven't had any interaction with the cops, thankfully. Yeah. It's like, no, no, but you're, you're a black guy. You have to have that. All right. You must, you must know how to rap. Yeah. It's like, well, I like rap, but I don't, you know, yeah, I can, scared. I can, I can rap along in the car. He yeah. Says, yeah. Yeah. I can rap along to a yeah. song, but I can't just come out. And they're like, no, no, do it. Right. And, and then, and I mean, and then they double down on the joke because he tries, he can't, uh, he can't just as he mm-hmm. says, he can't. And then he just makes up the standard stuff that, that he knows yeah. the entire white crowd is going to want to go for, and of course they go for it. Yep, yeah, and that's and that's the the crux of the joke, and also with 
a lot of the racial overtones that happen with the capitalist society. Because yeah. when you think of the corporation Worry Free mm-hmm. and their marketing and their ads, you know, it looks all wholesome and, you know, nice and, oh, we've offered this great working system. But instantly I sat there and went, I know exactly what that is. Yeah. You know, but the fact that they've marketed as a wholesome, family-friendly initiative, that right there speaks volume. And the type of people that they use for the commercials, I don't yeah. know if you've noticed. Oh, no, I noticed. Exactly, yeah. right? Whereas if you had put it, the, the real people that are probably going to be impacted by that, yeah. it gives it a whole different view. They can't sugarcoat it as no. much. So no. I think that's where a lot of this film offers. And for him, um, Cassius has the problem of he starts to believe similar to, I guess, his boss, supervisor, Mr. Blank. They never oh, yeah. tell you his yeah, name. Yeah, yeah. As he starts moving up the ranks, he's thinking, all right, I got it good. I'm getting the car, the house, I'm living the life. But he's never quite fully accepted. Because as we said in the party, he's still viewed as the other. His boss goes into that thing and he's got the hat, he's looking sharp, you know, he's leading a whole group of people. But the further they both go up the ranks, there's not too many people that look like them. No. Right, and even when he goes to the party, his boss goes to that same party. It's almost like his boss is—I don't want to say like a butler, but yeah. it's very much. Oh, you know, thank you, Mister Lift. You know, the, shine the, your the, shoes. Yeah, the, like the confidence drops. Exactly, you the know? confidence drops because he knows no matter what, I am not like these people. They won't look at me as an equal. So whatever Mister Lift asks for, we just say yes and we do it. Yeah, because that's the closest that we can get. We can never reach that. Yeah, that level. Um. You know, backing up a step when they were talking about the white people voice, that, I mean, I, like, that's obviously code switching. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's kind of a, I don't, I, I'm curious about how that plays. Because, I mean, first of all, they take it to a, a, an amazing end when they get Patton Oswald and David Cross to, you know, to step in for these guys' voices. Because mm-hmm. I was like, who are the whitest dudes I could think of? Yeah, David Cross has that voice, man. You know, like, like, was David Sedaris busy? (laughs) (laughs) Where's the line in that between clever and absurd? Because that's one of those moments where I wonder if they're hitting something a little too hard. Um, That's an interesting question. It's a very interesting question. Because I, one of the things that I thought about when people... Or specifically the older folks were leaving the, the cinema, I, I was like, I wonder how many people were offended at the fact that they used the white, the quote-unquote white voice right. and what the white voice represents. I wonder yeah. if any of those people are even going to remember. Well, they might, but again... You know, like, think, the, like the, the, the next... You know, but, the, that's, but that's also a key aspect of this film. Hmm. They might go, oh, that's, you know, we don't sound like that. This is all absurd. Oh, yeah. and, and walk away and, and forget it. Right. Right, completely... Right. I don't have to worry about it because it doesn't. That's not me. Yeah. As we see with the world, it is now America yeah. here in Ontario. With every, things are said, and you go, well, this person is this, or I believe their views are X. It's like, well, no, 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 that's not me. Yeah. That's just that one. It's a one-off case, and it's like, okay, but it's a whole system, right? That's feeding right. this type of thing. So I think with the voice, I don't. I don't think it goes too absurd. I think, like, you know, at first it's used for comedic effect, but right. then you start to see how it, it changes. But I think the fact that when he starts out and he starts using that voice, he's still in a fairly diverse group of workers. Mm-hmm. They're all downtrodden, whether you be black, Asian, white, Hispanic, whatever. They're yeah. all there together yeah. working. And it's just for 
the the black um, workers they seem to find that we actually get make sales yeah. if this is what happens. And yeah, yeah. As it's absurd to think that, but when you look at how our society is, and there was a study done by the University of Toronto last year, yeah, that. You know, Toronto Star and all these people had us like, oh, a shocking revelation. Whereas I sat there going, how is that yeah, shocking? That's right. annoying. But the study was uh, this woman created four resumes, and two of them were a, a male and female with a like a white sounding name, yeah. John Smith, what have you. And the other two were minorities, male and female. And then they had for the white male had like a, a lengthy criminal record, and then one of the other two minorities they had a criminal record. And the study showed that the white-sounding names got more callbacks for retail. Mm-hmm. This is just like any pick a store, Gap, yeah, yeah. what have you. Got more callbacks, you know, and job interview opportunities than the minority-sounding names with the exact same qualifications or better. Right. 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 So that was going on. And again, they thought that this was like a shocking revelation. Yeah. Where I'm sitting there going, "You now like this is." 2017 and you've now come up with this yeah like, yeah we could have told you that so this film i think you see that play I mean, out. yeah i mean like i think it's it's kind of like what we were saying about the whole movie is that if you go to an absolutely absurd extent mm. with something like code switching then you really you know make your point made if he had and i mean the funny thing is his first reaction to do that is just to hold his nose and talk like basically basically talks like Urkel. Yeah. Um, you know, he's like, oh, so I should do this? And like, no, 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 don't do that. You know, mm. like, you do, you know, come on, like, you know how to do yeah. this. You've done this before. Just use that voice and away you go. But then still, the voice that he then uses is David Cross, and who, who is an yeah. absurd sounding white boy. Yeah. Okay. Um, and, and it's, it's, I mean, it's one of those lines. It's either really clever or really dumb, depending on, <laughs> depending it's going to depend on your, your point of view. I think, I think it's really clever. Yeah. And especially as we see how things unfold, it's the fact that this film even got made is yeah. astounding to me. Um, and well, people lined up to help him make this movie. Yeah. Cause often we get films about capitalism and even films about race. And if they're done by major studios at the end of the day, they want to give you a message, but they pull a punch. They, they, but they want to make sure they either get, Oscar nominations or are successful at the box office. Yeah. Right. And you can have a film um, like Wolf of Wall Street where men are behaving badly in the yeah. name of capitalism and it could be a cautionary tale, but that thing's going to make millions. Yeah. And, and half of it is the, uh, half is the men behaving badly. So yeah. it's, you know, whereas a film like this, this is not a film that's going to make a lot of money. No. You know, it's, it makes people uncomfortable. Yeah. And it takes a village to make a movie like this. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I did like, I mean, baked in with everything, I did like a couple things. I, okay. I, I like Tessa Thompson's conceptual artist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, if the film's already absurd anyway, you might as well make her absurd too. And everything from her earrings that keep on changing to her actual art that she creates, um, it's, it's not, it doesn't actually serve the greater story. Mm-hmm. You know, um, her performance art makes no sense. And it's just, but I, I do like that it's it's those kinds of people that are kind of like one really good idea away from becoming a Banksy. Yes. You know, and she pulls it off really well. Yeah, she, she's wonderful in the film. And I, I actually liked her interactions with um, Steve Yoon's character mm-hmm. and, and that the whole dynamics of that friendship takes and yeah. how 
you know, this film also has a lot to say about activism yeah. as well. And sometimes, you know, you need to take to the streets, you need to be subversive in, in your activism. And then there's times where, you know, you need to convince people instead of just making a big production on the streets, you need to convince people on the inside yeah. that your cause is worth listening to and get them to also change as well. Like there's certain roles. It, it reminded me of a film and probably just cause I just watched it, but um, what was it? Did you ever see uh, cat cat fight with um, no, I know the one you're talking about. So there's, there's a whole section of cat fight or running gag again with a TV show where it's like, you're getting the news of the day and the world, I guess it's the war with um, the middle East from a late night talk show host. Okay. And he'll, he's, and it, I guess that's a statement about like how nowadays the, the people that are giving us the most honest news are the late night comedians. Yeah. But even in that, you know, setting, he realizes that most people just want to hear the, what he calls a fart machine, which is mm. literally a guy that comes across the stream farting. Yeah. You know, and you think of movements like that, where it's, it's showing that even when people are trying to bring attention and raise awareness, society has been so medicated into just simplicity that, you know, sometimes you need something different. I also think of like bamboozled where the, the group that kind of takes down this whole offensive satirical group art is a rap activist group. Mm -hmm. And then, but then they take things to a certain extreme that doesn't quite work. Like there has to be balance in, in your, activism as well see and i mean that's the funny thing is speaking of balance that's where i wonder does this film go too far because we you know we're talking about all the stuff that this film does well Mm -hmm. in its final act this film goes capital o capital t capital r off the rails and without giving away something that we're not going to give away that really throws the whole thing for a loop you know, it's it's just absurd. It starts out kind of absurd in the way that his desk drops into other people's homes. Oh, I love that. You know, and, and, that. and the yeah. office culture metaphors make no sense. And the, the elevator takes like 25 key punches to actually go up. Um, it, it's It's got this level of Michel Gondry absurdity to it the whole way. But then it, it just, it, it almost feels assaultive. It almost feels... Too much. You know, it's it's Andy Kaufman doing his joke and taking the joke past the 10th minute into the 15th and 20th minute. And I, that's where I wonder, I'm like, wh- what, did I, what did I just see? Yeah, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't find it offensive because I felt like... I didn't they, find it offensive. Yeah. I just, I was like, just... <laughs> no, I hear you. It, it, I was like on that show called Beat the Shit Out of Me and covered in crap. Yeah, it does. Yeah. It does. <laughs> Go for it. And I no. think the film does a good job. I think for me, it, it builds up to the insanity. And especially because as the the workers are protesting wages, it starts to get more and more violent with the the law enforcement. Well, um, I mean, and then they're throwing Coke cans and he becomes a meat. Exactly. And that, but again, that's a perfect example of they are doing something serious. They are trying to, to fight for proper wages, working conditions, health benefits, what have you. And the thing that everyone takes away from it is this guy gets hit with the cocaine. Right. You know, and the, the woman who threw the cocaine and, and, ends and, up and, a, like and a tagline too. But he, he basically becomes a laughing stock and she gets a TV show. Right. <laughs> and like, but and you think about it and you go, that's ridiculous. And then you step back for a moment and you go, but no, that's exactly what happens. Like people go viral for the, the silliest reasons and then end up getting 
production deals and book deals and you go well, really you know yeah. so their their plight is constantly being overshadowed by something frivolous yeah and when things get to a real tough point and it starts to get really violent even the way how the media covers it you know it still makes it look like they're the ones who are being out of line when they're when the force that's being inflicted on them is far exceeding what it should yeah um i mean but again i think it, i'm not denying that it goes crazy yeah and it, it's messy in how well, it I mean, unfolds i think listen i think a lot of that comes down to boots riley and now this is his first film mm-hmm. okay first of all if this is your first film like congratulations on a on a undeniably indel like an, an yeah. indelible debut i can say a lot of things about this movie it ain't boring and I don't know where, you, where do you go from here? <laughs> no, yeah, really. Just quit. Just just walk away. So I just did that. So I'll see you later. Um, and I wonder if he was more of a filmmaker, if these things would have been sharpened. You know, mm-hmm. and the next time around, and the next time after that, and the next time after that. I want to see more stuff from him. I don't know if I'm necessarily going to watch another film, but I want to see what else he, what other ideas he has and what else he can he can get out of these people. But I, I don't know. Like that, the, in, in the end, I kind of wonder if it just got too nuts mm-hmm. for me because I don't know who I point this to. If somebody starts talking to me about it, I would totally get into it. And I would totally love, like like we've just yeah. done, like hearing about everything. But I don't know who I would point this movie towards or who, who I would point towards this movie if they're looking to watch something on a Saturday night. Yeah, and I think maybe that's part of the, the film's charm because it is a tough film to recommend because you can't even say, oh, see this film if you like X. Yeah. I got I to gotta source the persons. What I got to do? Like, I got to I gotta qualify them. You know what I'm saying? Like, I got to say, what kind of movie are you looking to watch today? But maybe that's kind of what the film is trying to get us to do. And so, instead of only saying, okay, you like rom-coms, here's yeah. a few rom-coms for you. It's right. like, you like rom-coms? You know what? This isn't a rom-com, but you need to see it. Yeah. You know, if you... It's kind of romantic. You it's kind of romantic yeah. if you like documentaries with social issues yeah. sure we could recommend that but you know see this film. there's a relationship this, in the here's middle a, of here's it. a film that is strange odd that you should at least see <laughs> once yeah and so and it might change your view like some people might end up loving it some people might go what the heck did you just make me watch but yeah. i think we've become a little too complacent and it's like if you like avengers here's 18 other films like, like avengers, avengers that yeah. you can saturate yourself with. if you like horror films Here's a whole bunch of horror films and, you know, you don't think of like recommending a, a drama about social issues to a horror fan. Yeah. Right. We think of like, oh, well, I like this horror film and yeah. this film is demanding that. It's not bad, but it, it, here's the thing. It's not even really tough. Like I was going to say it's not bad, but it's tough. It's not even really a tough movie. No. It's just so damn weird. It's just, it, <laughs> it's just not what we're used to seeing. No, no. It reminded me also, and this is like a, a way off, um, tangent but in terms of just the experience watching hereditary because yeah when i was in line to see hereditary people were coming out of that film just baffled mm. and uh, you know a lot of young kids were like well, what did i just watch i don't understand this and i feel like this is a similar to that where hereditary starts off fairly straightforward and gets a little weird and then right. by the end it goes places that will be make or break yeah. and similar to this right and then i think it's kind of good that we're in the age of cinema where you can go to the multiplex and see 
those type of films that will throw you for a loop. This is, I will say this much. This is a film that if I'm, if I'm looking around and I happen upon it, it will make me stop for a while and, and, and soak up a bit of it because this is a film, if nothing else, this film is amazing in pieces. Yeah. You know, this is, this is a, this is a really good bender of like key and peel sketches, you know, in, in, a, in a certain way. This is, this is really interesting film. Even if I don't necessarily like it but mm. i mean again wow i think it's one though that you're gonna you'll start watching bits and pieces and then you're gonna find yourself sitting there probably watching yeah, yeah. Your, your i'll lose gonna uh, yeah i'll lose together. 45 minutes or an hour yeah you're gonna want to piece together all the things that you didn't quite get before yeah. and then start to wonder if things really work and yeah no oh man we could be talking about this movie a long long time uh but we have more show to get to we do however end every matinee cast with a souvenir something tangible or intangible if you could take away from this movie and keep courtney small what would you be keeping from sorry to bother you Again, this was so tough because <laughs> there are so many moments in this film. Uh, but again, for me, it, it comes down to that conversation at the diner with the with Steve Yoon and um, yeah. his buddy at the end, where he says, "Like if you if you I forget the exact quote, but it's to the effect of if you show people a problem but don't present a situ a solution, they'll just adapt to the problem." Right, and I think it encapsulates this film perfectly, encapsulates our society perfectly. It's a good quote. And it's not, and it's one of those moments where, again, it's a very serene movie in the, the sea of crazy. Yeah. But that was the one moment, yeah. the little nugget that kind of really hit me. Um, the one thing I think I would like to take away and keep uh, in some way, shape, or form, even though I don't wear them, is Tessa Thompson's earrings. Oh, they're great. They're, they're, they're huge. They've got these bold declarative sentences, like statements. The, the, the statements usually go from one ear to the other ear. Um, it just like dare you to look away. She even had that shirt uh, at one point where she said like the, the, the future's female, female ejaculation. ejaculation. <laughs> like, she, everything that she wears in this film is just, yeah. just on point. It's cool. Just like one step further. Yeah. And we're not even talking about her bikini for her performance art, which is a whole other thing. Uh, yeah. Um, you know what? I forgot that. Considering like, how, how could you forget that? There's, there's so much going on in this movie. There's so much going on in that scene. Yes, that's true. You know, there, there's, no, there's so much going on in that scene. And that's like the fourth or fifth weirdest thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's, and, you know, people just Google it. And uh, you'll see what we're talking about. What do we say that it's a weird ass scene, and that is that ends up having the onus taken away from it? You'll wonder, okay, mm -hmm. what kind of movie is this? Um, all right, we rate here on the matinee cast on a scale of one four stars. Courtney Small, what do you give? Sorry to bother you. You know what? I have to give this a three point five. Wow! I, I really like. I love this film. <laughs> it's <laughs> as messy as it is. Okay, it gave me so much to think about, and um, uh, it was just an experience that I did not expect okay. enjoying as much as I did. Um, right, this this is a movie. I, I know, I know what this movie is. This is the movie that I watched the first time, and I don't get it. Mm -hmm. And there's been a lot of those over my life. And over time, as the nerve endings burn in and I have more of these conversations, I'm going to go back and think I was way too hard on this movie the first time. But this is the first time. First time. It's okay. So I'm, I'm going away with a two and a half. That's it's not right. bad, but I don't know who I would push towards this movie. There's a lot of stuff I don't entirely know what I think of it yet. 
And I will come back to it, but right this moment, I'm like, what the ever-living hell? My, um, uh, the letterbox gamut has been just insane. I can, Im- yeah, I can imagine. It's going to be like a you, yeah. basically. Um, hey, listen, maybe you're uh, like Courtney and you think this film is amazing. Maybe you think you're like me and you're not sure. Maybe you're beyond me and you think this is a piece of hot garbage. Let me know, for the love of God. Ryan at the matinee.ca, Twitter, where I'm matinee underscore CA, or facebook.com slash darkmatinee. What do you think of... Sorry to bother you. We are going to flip the record over right after this. Come back with the other side. Come on back. We're going to talk about more movies. We're back. It's Matt and Cast 204. I've been talking about Sorry to Bother You. He's Courtney Small. I'm Ryan McNeil. We are going to go further down the rabbit hole, turn the record over, play the other side, some more movies. <laughs> I'm sure there's many um, that Sorry to Bother You inspired. Uh, what did you come up with? The first one I came up with, and it's a very literal interpretation, but Snowpiercer. Oh, okay. Because Snowpiercer is... Yeah, an environmental tale, and that's also going to be part of my theme here, but it's really a film about capitalism and how capitalism has kind of ruined the environment. And you have the literal aspect of the machine being fed by the people at the bottom. Like, yeah. And this whole film is all about a train where the lower class is at one end and the higher class is the other until the lower class is like, screw this, we're tired of you know, being the uh, the fuel for all the rich people. And as they go through the train, you start to see the various levels of um, power and an elitism yeah. increase. And as they try to get, move up that ladder, there's a lot of violent things that try and push them back. Yeah. Right. And in this film, and sorry to bother you, we see that with the protesters where they're just trying to get basic rights. And the more they speak up, the, um, the more force is being used by law enforcement and just the way how, Society doesn't always want to change. The funny thing is how radically different the two films are in their approach, right? Like Snowpiercer, we're talking Bong Joon-ho, yes, right? We're talking something that is very glossy, very handsome, really, really high production value. Um, Sorry to Bother You is actually really well produced, especially in those moments where it gets absurd, mm-hmm. um, but not nearly on the grand level of something like Snowpiercer and yet you know it's not it, it's it's not like Snowpiercer even with all that extra money and loot does a whole lot of things that the smaller movie doesn't do yeah and they're both they're both crazy when you really think about like what's going on and the various compartments and stuff it's it, Snowpiercer struck me as a little bit less crazy there's still a lot of crazy but a little bit less I don't know though like the, I'm thinking of the scene where it's like but the hatchet men Oh yeah, on. yeah. And then you got to think of like the various compartments. Like the there's a school compartment which the is school te- one, yeah, teaching the, a certain type yeah. of criteria. Yeah. And like there's, I remember there's a part where it's almost like a nightclub, but it's yeah. very, I don't want to say like re- uh, restoration period, but like just remember they're very the way how they dress and like the makeup and garb. It's, it's almost like steampunk, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, there's okay. just so much going on in that film that it, it is a crazy movie. And I think that's one that a lot of people don't know how to handle. Like the studios didn't even know how to, to market it. Yeah, which is weird because, I mean, I don't think I've met somebody who doesn't like it. Yeah, most people I know like it. Yeah. But that's one, that I, that's one that I throw on. But it's one that a lot of people, if you think about it, they don't 
referenced too often. Yeah. Like, when was the last time you were in conversation about Snowpiercer? No. Maybe it's a couple years. Yeah. Least. Which, and I mean, you know, at the center of it all, you've got a bankable star. You've got Captain America right in the mm-hmm. middle of this whole thing, uh, leading the charge. It's it, it's crazy that now, now that you mention it, that that movie just kind of came and went. It's been five years since it arrived. I Aside from our little circles of, like, movie lovers, I don't think I've had a single conversation about it. Yeah. And it, it usually bubbles up like towards the top of the Netflix pages too, mm-hmm. or at least it did for a while. Um, but yeah, its whole its whole subversion of the genre and how it hangs it on class and how as you move, like mm-hmm. you know, it's almost like an office tower. And as you move higher and higher, the suites get bigger and the fixtures get glossier and whatever. And yeah, as they move yeah. up this train, life gets better. Um, no, that's a great movie. And I would say Okja also falls in that category as well like for me they were one a and b in terms of what i'd bring because that one Okja takes the, feels more like this movie yeah you know like that's what i'm saying like we're double if we're double featuring these and you're telling me we got to play yeah i should stop here and say that my double feature with sorry to bother you was uh let me be your neighbor which was a bad idea of a double feature because i got some whiplash out of that but if we were planning a double feature of of sorry to bother you and you said okay we can get a print of snowpiercer or we can get a print of okja okja works a lot clearer mm-hmm. uh in 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 conceit and execution i think snowpiercer i see i see the, the yeah. what you're saying here but i think okja certainly works better yeah i for me again when i was Even writing it down they were one a and b yeah so if i had to choose one i picked snowpiercer because i think snowpiercer is a little crazier than okja because okja for at least the first half plays like a a traditional adventure between a child and her her pet but it gets dark yeah it's also an easy i was gonna say it's an easier watch you get towards the end of okja and people are really ready to tune out yes uh versus snowpiercer where i think people would stay with it um snowpiercer i mean i think it's been a while since i watched it but i remember it having a badass cast yeah chris evans tilda swinton jamie bell octavia spencer john hurt um Somebody who I won't spoil just in case you yeah. haven't seen yep. the movies at the front of this train. Um, you know, it, like that's one of those things where you can tell this was a film. This is a film with some money behind it mm-hmm. when it can get a little bit better actors. Even though, I mean, not to really throw stones at the cast of Sorry to Bother You, because that's a great cast. Yeah, in they did right. phenomenal with that cast. Uh, my first one that I thought about, because I went, both of my first two are kitchen sink movies. And the first one that I thought of is the first one where I remember saying to somebody, what kind of movie do you want to watch tonight? Do you trust me? Because you might not like this, but I promise you, you'll, you won't forget it. Was, when's the last time you watched Synecdoche, New York? Oh, you know what? I think I've only watched that once. Um, so we're talking about a film from 2008. The only film directed by Charlie Kaufman, usually he writes his work and he hands it off to somebody else, stars Philip Seymour Hoffman, and this movie is nuts. This movie is all about the amount of ourselves that we put into our creations, into our art, um, what else goes into it, and how that can all just grow and grow and grow out of control until you've got like basically Russian nesting dolls Mm -hmm. of your own art. Um, Another movie with an amazing cast, Phil Seymour Hoffman, Samantha Morton, Michelle Williams, Catherine Keener, Emily Watson, Diane Wiest, Hope Davis. Um, This movie is nuts. Yeah, it is. And I, I remember liking it, but it wasn't a film that, 
I would put in my memory to, like, oh, if I want something to watch mm-hmm. or like it, because it's one that you really do need to pay attention to. Yeah. And I don't know why I don't watch it more, actually, now that I think about it. I mean, because I think it's just one of these movies that's just kind of faded in 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you don't hear a lot of people talking like, talking about this. Um, I mean, you know, to put a point on how odd a movie Synecdoche, New York is, um, Emily Watson moves into an apartment that is perpetually on fire. Like there's a wall or two walls that are in flames and they are in flames when she's shown the apartment, right? Like the real estate and she says, what's with the fire? And the the real estate agent is just like, and she moves in, you know, she moves in the, 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 it's always on fire. Um, Eventually the fire does come up and I, I, again, I, I haven't seen this movie. In 10 years, I don't forget it. I didn't, like, that whole thing about the fire coming up or he's got all of these, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman has all of this, like, rotating maladies that he has after hitting his head. And at one, like, one point, the malady is manifesting itself in the way that he can't swallow. So he has to tilt his head up and kind of, like, shake the food down his own neck. At one point, he can't cry, but he's really sad and he wants Mm -hmm. to cry. So he's sitting on a bench, weeping audibly, but, like, hitting himself with, eye drops so that he can cry (laughs) this movie's nuts this movie is insane and i don't know who in the world i would point it towards but at the same time it's so good yeah that's that's one i hadn't thought about in a long time yeah oh man i can't believe it and and it would make an absolutely perfect double feature with this movie what other movies did you come up with okay so i'll give you two more this is the first one Give give me one first okay so um it's one that Falls in the category that I didn't like it when I first saw it, but I've grown okay. to really like it over the years. Okay. Fight Club. Okay. Because Fight Club is a, you know, it's not quite the same in terms of the the struggle because Edward Norton's character is at a, a far higher place to begin with than um, Cassius is in this one. But yeah. it's also a film about um, our complacency oh. when it comes to capitalism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And bucking against the system um, and sometimes whether or not you're you're part of the system that you're bucking against or how you how you go about it and it's it's interesting that for sorry to bother you Cassius just wants a job yeah he just wants to make an honest living whereas Edward Norton is like uh, I'm, I'm bored because my whole house is Ikea yeah you know it's like he's he's still he, living a ha- good life yeah he's having like a spiritual crisis exactly and it's I find that approach and whether or not it's anti-capitalism bent is successful or not is interesting but it that film for me went weird places at least when i first watched it still does <laughs> yeah but, but it bothered me it bothered me a lot more when i first saw it like Have I you was, read the book no i don't okay. read the book. okay so to me i was like this i don't understand what the fuss is over this film yeah, yeah. but the more that i've watched it the more it's grown on me okay and it's the point where like i really like that film now it's still i still think it's messy yeah. at times the ending i still don't like but it's uh, it's a fascinating approach to to capitalism. That's another time where this concept of absurdity was given a budget and given star power. Yes. You know, like, I mean, again, we're not throwing stones at the stars in Sorry to Bother You, but ain't none of them Brad Pitt. Mm-hmm. Um, and Brad Pitt helps get that movie made. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, so does David Fincher, mm-hmm. right? Um, who at that time wasn't really a name. Like that was his fourth movie. Well, he did he did seven by he done though, seven. Right? So. Yeah, he done he done seven. He done um, Alien Three, and he done the game. And Alien Three and the game didn't really make bank. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like oh, there's the new David Fincher movie coming out, right? Like he was kind of known amongst movie nerds, but that was about it. Um, oddly enough, that was actually kind of the film that finally tipped his career, like the dominoes of yeah. his career. Um, I would love to like, especially next year when that film turns 20 to have long conversations about that movie. Cause I feel like that movie has evolved and morphed and changed several times over since it first came out. Yeah. And I feel like that movie is a lot of different things for different people. Um, you mentioned that movie to me and I think about who I used to be. Because that was a book that I loved, and a, then a movie that I loved, and I was all over it when I fir- when it first came out. Now I wasn't in it in the "this is really funny" and they smack the crap out of each other kind of way. But though that, if you handed that book to me now or sat me down in front of that movie now, I I certainly wouldn't have the same reaction yeah. as I did then. Um, oddly enough, to bring thing another thing back full circle. That was a first date movie for me. Oh, okay. Did not go well. No, no, I, I, I can't, <laughs> can't see. And it's funny though because, and I think why it fits perfectly with this film is, in many ways, it shows the complacency of our society. Because when, if you think about it, what was the big takeaway from Fight Club? The rules, yeah, and the fact that men all over, up until recently, were still having like little makeshift fight clubs. Like there was a report in the states about a, a teacher that essentially had a, like a fight club amongst his students, right? You know, and you think you guys missed the complete point of that movie, yeah, right? This whole thing, the whole message was that you know the capitalist society is what's making us zombies, and you took away, hey, it's cool because dudes get to punch each other, yeah, you know, and that's how you show you're a real man, and like that's yeah, exactly, and then, what, and then men blow shit up, yeah, sorry, yeah. bothers commenting on that exact type of mentality like you're we we blind ourselves to the real issues because it's just easier to take the stuff that we like yeah um i mean the other funny thing is that one of the that is a movie that i can quote backwards and forwards because i've seen it so many times but one of the quotes i always thought found fascinating in that movie is when he says we are the middle children of history we have no great war and no great depression well, it's sweet that in 1999 we didn't have a Great War or Great Depression, but it's 20 years later now and we kind of have both. Um, it's, oh my God, I, I, you know, for a long time I sat people down and got them to watch staples of 80s culture and got them to watch things like Dirty Dancing and Breakfast Club and, and uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High to see how they held up because I was convinced that some of these things held up and some of them didn't. That is a movie I would really love somebody to watch for the first time end to end and tell me, what does this movie say in 2018? Mm-hmm. Um, because yeah, everything everything that we're talking about in Sorry to Bother You, it's doing it just on a bigger level with more money, you know, with with and you know with far more white people. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, sure. And I think I think again, I don't. I think people's views are are going to change. It's going to be interesting to see all the think pieces that come out next year on this film oh yeah because we saw like with the dark knight there was like hundreds of things a lot of them were really engaging but that's a film that i think will still 20 years from now have a lot to say about our society fight club i don't know if people are gonna have the exact same reaction to it as no. they did back in the 90s no no i don't i don't think so and uh, yeah it's it's gonna be it's gonna be really interesting and I, i'm sure there's a lot of people already writing their think piece mm-hmm. um okay another movie i i thought of when i thought of kitchen sink movies 
And this is a movie I know a lot of people hate. Did you go see Mother? Oh, I love Mother. And we should qualify this too. There's an exclamation point at the end of the title, so it's really Mother! Yeah. Um, <laughs> my God, this movie. It's another one that wants to make grand points. Um, the Mother actually, and it, it, here's the funny thing. So Mother is told by a master storyteller in that it's Darren Aronofsky. But I think actually, if I'm going to sit this next to, sorry to bother you, bother you does absurdity better than mother does mother just fires the gun empty you know mother just you know i said that bother you goes off the rails Mm -hmm. mother you mother doesn't even have the rails anywhere in sight you know the the train has left the track it is plowed through the desert it is over a dune and it is continuing to go and just get all of its stuff out of its system yeah it's it's one though that'll say I've tried to sit through Noah twice, and at both times I've fallen asleep over the halfway point. Really? Mother, <laughs> I'm always awake. <laughs> mother, mother, I don't know. Mother's approach to to re- religion and uh, and our the way how our world has evolved and the the secular nature yeah. of everything I just find so fascinating. And the again, that is a kitchen. That is a movie that goes off the rails early literally the kitchen sink comes up in this movie exactly the kitchen sink is an issue there's it's a plot point there's so much going on and bardem is such a horrible character and then when you when it clicks in like who he is and what he represents yeah just puts everything in yeah just a different perspective i mean jennifer lawrence plays this kind of doe in the woods like she's just trying to hold this thing together Mm -hmm. uh you know like from moment to moment it just gets more and more absurd first in these really gentle that's the thing the absurdity always starts off low you know what i'm saying it always starts off with well who's this person and why is he here It, it doesn't start with cannibalism Mm-hmm. You know, it's always yeah, starts to build up. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, you go you go to the front of the train. Um, I was I was. It's kind of funny because I remember this film played TIFF last year. I didn't see it at TIFF, yeah, but I, I heard I heard people talking about it, and I heard people talking about it being ugly. Like I, I specifically heard somebody saying, "I don't know what I would think of somebody who liked." No offense, mm. who liked that movie. I don't know how I would deal with that. And I'm like, well, now I really need to see it. Yeah, I want to know what the heck you're talking about. And I think, and, and then it came out in theaters, and it was like an F cinema score. Like people were coming away from it just hating it. Yeah, and I was like, I got to see this movie. There's no way to to market that film correctly. No, giving it away, and I think. The problem is you show Jennifer Lawrence, you show Javier Bardem, yeah. you know, and it's like, well, you know, you don't get too much into it. And people are like, oh, Jennifer Lawrence, I've, I've got to go, you know. Yeah, Mystique's in a movie. Let's Mystique's go. Mystique's in a movie, American Hustle, yeah. whatever you know her from. And it's a completely different film. Like that's, a, that's another one that I remember seeing in the, the theater. It was a sparse crowd. Yeah. I think it was like just before it was going to leave the, the uh, theater near me. And... Again, people were just didn't know what to make of it, you know. And it was one of those where I guess after the by the time the Gleason brothers show up, yeah, and it clicked in what the film actually is or what it's trying to do. Then I was like, all right, let's see where it went. I didn't expect it to go as crazy as it did, but I thought it was a really inventive approach to trying to tell the type of story it does. This is going to sound crazy, but you know when I knew I was in for something weird is the opening title comes up 
and it, just, it says mother, and then they add the exclamation point, and there's this little ding, and I'm like, mm-hmm. uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. if, we're, if, that's, if that's what we're doing, this is going to be a strange ride. Um, again, I don't know that I liked it, mm. but it's been a year, and I remember a lot of that movie. I've watched the film. I, that might be what I watch this evening. Now, because um, I have the I have the Blu-ray, so I watch it in theaters, and then I watch it again when it came on Blu-ray, and it's still a it's crazy. But yeah. I love, and they it goes dark to like there's a certain scene that happens. Yeah, towards the end, there's a, there's a moment of violence. I did not think they were gonna do like yeah. it's building up. And you're like, okay, this is probably what's gonna happen, and then they do it and it's done so quickly but it still like still gives me the the heebies just thinking about yeah. it it's like wow this film it went there went for it man and yeah I, it's funny being i guess it was shot in like montreal or something because there's a bunch of canadian actors that appear and just like oh hey yeah good to see canada being represented <laughs> in this strange strange film oh man i'll say my the last one i'll, okay. I'll throw because i had a, a, a big list but okay. Keeping with the theme of religion, um, I don't know if you've seen First Reformed, the Paul Schrader movie mm. with Ethan Hawke. Why is everybody trying to talk me into that movie? It's an interesting movie. And it's and it's one where, again, tangentially, it touches on capitalism. Because you have a, a priest played by Ethan Hawke who's kind of, you know, lost his faith, if you will. Like, the, the church that he uh, presides over is a small historic church that everyone calls a gift shop. You know, because everyone's going to this massive deluxe church across the street, which um, is run by Cedric the Entertainer. Okay. And there's there's strong commentaries on faith and the environment, but also the way that the merger of capitalism and religion and how it has impacted society in general, just not just people, but the environment and how, you know, what will it take for to wake people up to to this unhealthy merger not as crazy it, it does go some strange places towards the end but nowhere near as crazy but i was thinking about this as well when i was thinking about films that take interesting approaches to to capitalism and this one's more of like a tangential one compared to the other two that i've mentioned okay see i am i am in a state of conflict here because there are two things pulling at either side of me on the one hand i have the words paul schrader which mm-hmm. there are few things that send me running away from a film faster than Paul Schrader in, in, in this in this century especially yep. you know I don't know what happened when when that ball dropped and it said 2000 but Paul was like I'm good I'm just gonna I'm gonna keep working when was Affliction was that 99 Oh, is that him? I think. I think yeah, no, yeah, no. But Affliction yeah. was the nineties. Yeah, yeah, no, no, yeah, no. Okay. He could. I mean, in the in the nineties, he wrote "Bring Out the Dead," which oh, I right, love. Yeah. He was still working with Scorsese. Paul Schrader did some amazing things, and then the as I said, the calendar flipped, and wow. But on the mm-hmm. other hand, you have a twenty-four, and mm-hmm. talking about movies that aren't always great, but always leave an impression. A twenty-four yep. almost always gets my money. So, and I've had a lot of people in our group say first reform, first reform. So I might just have to finally. It's worth saying. All like, right. You know, I'm not going to hype it to the level that some people uh, have, okay. but I think it's good. Um, I always find films about religion and faith interesting. Okay. Um, probably just because of my upbringing. Right. So, and its approach. And then, especially in this one in relation to the environment. And as again, it touches on subtly capitalism and the impact of that right. it's just a really interesting film and ethan hawk gives a great performance okay 
All right, you might have been finally the person to uh, to talk me into it, but uh, we'll see. I, you know, listen, if, if, I, if I go and I do not care for it, now I'm squarely blaming you. Okay, that's all right. All right. Um, my last other side, it's actually not a film. It's actually some television, but it's just because I think television is becoming more and more cinematic, mm-hmm. and I wish I could talk about it more, but I just find television hard to talk about on the whole because you've got this nature of a single episode and a single series and a series on the whole, some of it planned, some of it not planned. Um, but with the um, cast of this film, including Lakeith Sanfield, I got to thinking about Atlanta. I still have not seen Atlanta. Oh, Atlanta. Okay, mm-hmm. so Atlanta, it's not it's not for everybody. Okay. Because it is it's a comedy, but it's its humor is really low boil. Okay? It's really it's absurdist in a whole other way. It's absurdist in a way where Donald Glover can be sitting in the holding section of a police station where a drug addict and a transsexual hooker are like trying to hook up sitting left and right of him oh, okay. and he's like i can move you know, you know yeah, but, yeah, yeah. but they don't want to let him do that no, no no you're fine you're fine you know it's stuff like i mean that's in the premiere yeah okay? okay it's stuff like that where he has these moments of just little absurdity as he like cassius is just you know mm. trying to make it just trying like trying to do his thing trying to get out there and trying to like better himself there's all of this really weird shit that always seems to happen around him Sometimes it's just straight up, you know, people trying to deal, right? Uh, there's some of the best episodes involve him and um, and his girlfriend, um, and their like their relationship is kind of sort of broken. Would be putting it best. Her okay. name is Van. It's Vanessa, but she goes by Van, um, and she's played by I can never pronounce her name properly, but she's played by the actor who played Domino in Oh, in Deadpool, the uh, sequel. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, so there's a lot of moments of that where they're just they're trying to figure out their shit. But even when they're trying to figure out their shit, there's a, a great episode in season two where she talks him into coming to this German festival where she's like a star. Like she goes there and it's like a, quite clearly like yeah. she's been to this before. She speaks fluent German. He has no idea what's going on. The games that are being played make no sense to him. At one point he actually like makes a great move in the game and everybody's like, how did you do that? Yeah. He's like, I just <laughs> – I just put the balls in the bucket. I don't, I don't, you yeah. know, it's that kind of humor okay. that I think I don't, you know, like, I don't know how much of that Lakeith brought into, sorry to bother you. I don't know how much Boots Riley saw in Atlanta that he brought over, but it's this kind of thing where Glover, who his hands are all over Atlanta. Yeah. He finds the sweet spot every damn time. Okay. One of the most iconic episodes of the, the show at all is donald glover in whiteface oh really as, yeah okay. as this eccentric who's selling a piano to lakeith right his oh, character right. goes his character goes out into the sticks to because he saw a listing to buy this really beautiful piano and he gets out there and it's this amazing eccentric this guy who's like equal parts howard hughes and michael jackson oh, and it wow. happens All to right. be donald glover in whiteface okay. and the whole episode is unbelievable that you just need to see to believe. Mm-hmm. Um, but it to me is absurd that always stays on the right side of the line. Oh, so check that one out. Yeah, no, I, I I've thought heard about, nothing but good things about that show. Yeah, I mean it's it's they're all good. they're all really good. It, it's it's always kind of a low boil. So 
Um, you know, I, it's not like something I'd say put it on and then like go to the kitchen and do your thing. Like put it on and watch. Mm-hmm. It doesn't require concentration, but some of those jokes sometimes are just like, you know, Donald Glover's eyes just kind of bug a little bit yeah. because something's going on and he would like like to be like, uh, guys, but he just he can't hide his expression. Yeah. And if you blink, you'll miss it. Oh, it's, okay. it's what I love. So, um, man, I guess. What we're saying is, even a movie that you're not, like, Courtney's obviously sure that he loves this movie. I'm not so sure. But even a movie that you're not sure about can still leave you with a lot to talk about. Yes. And that, at the end of the day, is really what I want for my film. So um, I'm glad that that was able to happen today on episode 204. Um, I'd like to thank uh, Courtney Small for dropping by. Always a pleasure. I'll try not to make it four years in between hey, episodes no, this time. Our schedules are busy, man. Uh, hey. um, as for me, come on back on August 13th for episode 205. We're going to be talking about 8th grade, speaking of A24. Courtney is on Cinema Axis, um, both in web and podcast form. What do you got coming up? This, film, this episode is going to go up not tomorrow, but a week from Monday. Okay, so I'm most likely going to be on vacation. Hey. Um, yeah, it's been... But what, like, what's coming up on the site for, like, beginning of August? Uh... Again, I'm going to be on vacation. There'll be probably a new episode of the Changing Wheels podcast going up. It's already been recorded. We're talking Call Me By Your Name. Oh, wow. And I just have to edit that. And I'm sure there'll be something between now and then. But honestly, I'm just about getting through the work week and I'm on vacation. So this site might be a little quiet for a couple of weeks. <laughs> but mid-August, we'll get back and things. And then, of course, we know we got the fall film festival season and nice. all that stuff. Nice. Up, but. Uh, people want to follow you on Twitter. Where can they find you? At uh, Small Mind. Very nice. My site is thematinee.ca. For more audio content, you can find back episodes by going to thematinee.ca slash podcasting. You can also find them on Pocket Cast, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, Blueberry, and Apple's podcast app. In the iTunes store as well. Still no luck with Spotify, but now I have my people working on that. Everything gives you handy ways to subscribe for free and get alerts when new episodes drop. Feedback on Sorry to Bother You or any of the movies we've did on TV that we've discussed today can be left in the comment section of the site. You can email ryan at thematinee.ca, Twitter, where I'm matinee underscore C8 or facebook.com slash dark matinee. Any final thoughts, buddy? No, go see the movie. Regardless of, you know, whether you like it or not, you you will not forget it. And it's definitely probably one of the most original things you will see in the summer. I'll grant you that. For, for Courtney, I'm Ryan. We'll see you at the matinee.